Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. You're listening to episode 25. In this episode, I interviewed the very interesting Fahim Anwar. He was a former Boeing engineer turned stand-up comic. So his story is super interesting, and I can personally relate because I am working in a little office job right now doing tech uh, at a tech company. Uh, We talk about his sketch group Goatface that went from YouTube. He started it like maybe 10 years ago. And now it's on Comedy Central with a uh, new sketch special. He, we talk about starting out in Seattle, getting a ton of stage time, how to establish yourself in a bigger scene, editing and using that to become great, uh, what the changing comedy landscape is like today, and uh, how to get yourself to write, and just so much more. This is a really cool interview, and uh, I found it to be really insightful and helpful. So I hope you guys do too. Thanks. Enjoy. So, hey guys, we'll get back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here with Fahim Anwar. Fahim is a LA-based stand-up comedian, actor, and writer. He was formerly an aerospace engineer at Boeing, and uh, he traded the cubicle uh, for the stage and never looked back. He released an hour special, There's No Business Like Show Business. Uh, the New York Times listed Fahim as the most promising future star He's appeared on Conan Late Night with Seth Meyers and performed at the prestigious Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. And he has a lot of film and TV credits, including Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, Neighbors, Drunk History, Carmichael Show, and Superior Donuts. And you are now on Goatface. Uh, sorry, your sketch team Goatface is on Comedy Central. Yeah, so now. we have a one-hour sketch special coming out November 27th. Awesome. Yeah. Welcome. Well, thanks, thanks for being man. here, yeah. man. Thanks for having me. You're an impressive person. I guess. It's funny when you read it back and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I've done some things. Because when you live it yourself every day, you're like, I'm nobody. <laughs> or yeah, I, I can so be doing I can be doing more. All the things that you're doing. Yeah. That's does Comedy Central do <laughs> sketch specials? I didn't know that was a thing. They're start uh, they I think Trevor Moore had one. They're starting to a little bit. I think it's kind of an easy way for them to test the waters and Hopefully this would run into like uh, get picked up as a series. Like I would love that. Just I love stand up and I love sketch, so it's really cool to like I'm head writer on this uh, sketch show. But we were um, and I'm in it as well, and it's just this sketch team. We were doing it on YouTube years ago, and no one really cared. And then everyone got busy. Hassan got Daily Show, you know Asif Ali. He's in it as well. He was booking every acting thing. Aristotle, who's directing and also in it, he got busy with a bunch of directing stuff. And it's cool years later to finally be able to get to the point to team up and and do it on TV That's instead the of That's instead of the yeah. Dream. This is what like, we were trying to do from the start. You started in. Did you start in sketch before stand? No, I started. Yeah, my foray into sketch was kind of after stand up. It was from frustration. I started doing stand up in Seattle, and I was doing it for four years out there. And I kind of climbed. You climb rather quickly in a smaller market. Then I graduated college. And I just applied to jobs in Southern California to be out here, you know. And uh, Did you go to UW? Yeah, I went to UW. So there was this bottleneck. I was trying to get up on stage out here, but no one knows who you are. You know what I mean? It's like starting stand-up all over again, but, mm-hmm, you, know totally. how to, but you know how to write a joke. So you're not completely lost because I had four years under my belt. But no one knows who you are, so it's hard to get stage time up top. And I just had this creative frustration and backlog. I was like... I had all these ideas and stuff, and this is when YouTube was kind of taken off a little bit. It wasn't. Yeah, this it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. Where, yeah, it was kind of in its infancy. 
So how old were you? Twenty five. At the time, yeah, I was like 22, 22 oh, 23. Oh, wow, yeah, okay. so like two thousand seven. Like fresh out of yeah college, got the job and all that, and so I was just frustrated not getting on stage that much, and then I saw some of the sketches on YouTube that would go viral a little bit, and I'm like, this isn't that great. Like in my mind, yeah, I go, I, I can it. do this. Yeah. So then, and that became an outlet for me. I started doing just sketch. And I had always done that back in the day. Like I was in video productions and I was always making videos and stuff like that. Work with Avid and like Avid Cinema and all that mm-hmm. and editing. And so I had those tools to begin with. It was just another outlet outside of stand-up until that kind of caught up later on. That's now so I cool. get on stage, it's great. It's great where I'm at now. But at the time, I was just it was a great ancillary outlet, you know? That's super cool. Um, what was your... We can go back to the sketch stuff. I, I definitely honed in on that, but... I want to also talk about your Seattle experience. So did you start in college stand-up? Is that when you started? I started, I graduated from high school, and that summer I started going out to the clubs. First In Seattle? Yeah, the first place I ever performed was the Comedy Underground in Seattle. Yeah. And not its current location. Like where it's at right now, it's I think they had some, right yeah, it, and the old one was as well, but I think they moved a block or two away. So it's kind of the same thing, but not really. The old Comedy Underground will never be again, you know? So it was kind of yeah. cool that I was there. I didn't know they moved. Yeah, they, they moved like a block or two away because they had some lease thing or, yeah, it's part of Swanee's or whatever. I don't know if it still is or not. Oh, that's what, um, I didn't know what he was talking. I interviewed Rob Schneider briefly. Oh, really? Yeah, he was just like in, he was at Laughs Comedy Club, which was Giggles. Dave and Angela. Oh, yeah. They yeah. were, and they were kind of influential in my early years of stand-up as well because, really? They have they're part of Giggles now, but they had laughs in Kirkland. But mm-hmm. before, and now they moved it to uh, U District. Yeah, yeah, that's where Giggles used to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I would go to Giggles too. But they were operating this comedy club in the lobby or like the lounge of uh, yeah, the lobby would be weird. The lounge of the, this Ramada Inn, and they, it was on the east side because it was Bellevue. So uh-huh. they had it in Bellevue. My parents lived in Woodenville. And it was just so much easier for me to go to this Bellevue lounge and they would give me like 20 minutes, really? 20, 30 minutes every Friday, Saturday. So I could just stay on the east side and not have to travel all the way across the floating bridge and do stand up in Seattle. So they were like my comedy parents. It was great. That's yeah, awesome. They just gave I me so much stage time. Like that a, way too. For sure. Yeah, they were really warm and influential and, and helped me out. That's so cool. Do you ever go back up there and do? Yeah, like I've done laughs, laughs. I've done laughs. Maybe it's been it's been a while. It's been like three or four years since I did laughs. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I remember Rob Schneider briefly called it Swanee's Underground. And I didn't know what he was talking about because he yeah, said that's no one where called... he went to. Oh, really? When he was early starting out, he said he went. He did a run in Seattle at Swanee's Underground, and that's what inspired him and he was like 22 uh-huh. and he like killed out there or something and he was so inspired and that got him to keep doing it yeah i think swanee's is the bar or the restaurant uh-huh. but it's the comedy underground no yeah. one would call it swanee's underground okay so maybe except, he clearly is but, apathetic but, towards it yeah or maybe he's just so far removed you yeah. know he just remembers swanee's and he's, underground yeah, and just, yeah, yeah. he's like that must be the name yeah cool um yeah so you were up in seattle how was that experience starting in seattle I think it was good. I'm glad that I started in a, like some people start in LA or New York and I don't know how they do it. It just seems so saturated with comedians and not yeah. just comedians, but even like some top level, everyone comes here. This is the final stop for so many comedians. So to, to start here 
is kind of mind-boggling because mm-hmm. you just need repetition. You need stage time. You need quality stage time to grow as a comedian. And I think that's hard in a market like L.A. or New York. You kind of come here after your mid-level or that would be my advice. Like people who want to be comedians, I would say start somewhere with a good scene, but it's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, like Austin, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, like those two, San Francisco, Boston, they're close enough to the big scene where if you're making waves, you're still on the map. People will kind of know because there's comedians who are from San Francisco that the industry will kind of hear rumblings about because it's close enough. Yeah. And the same thing with Boston. Seattle didn't really have that. It was just too far away. It was tucked away in the Pacific Northwest, you know? How long do you think it's like a good time to stay in a smaller scene? Or does it just depend? Two years minimum? I think four years is solid. That's what I did. Maybe I'm just biased yeah. because that's what I did, four years. Um, but anything less than two years, I think, is not a good move. Yeah. But everyone's different, you know? Yeah, because uh, one of my good friends is like his whole thing on. He doesn't want to move to L.A. yet because he wants to just stay in Seattle. And he is getting a lot of uh, – he's doing really well there now because he's in the Comedy Underground. He's in Laughs. And then uh, what's that other one in Bellevue? A parlor? parlor, yeah, just offered him like hosting spots, and they pay like pretty well. Uh huh. Pay like three hundred fifty dollars for the weekend. It's like good for comedy. Sure. So yeah, he's making ripples, and now I was so I really wanted to move back here, uh-huh. and I kind of just moved back maybe prematurely uh-huh. after a year. But you are from here, so it's a little different. You know what I mean? So I'm actually from Connecticut. Oh okay, but, but you I, went to UCLA, was, right? Yeah, I've been. So you here have for ties. It's not like. Yeah, it makes no sense if you have no ties to New York or no ties to L.A. and you try to go out there yeah. a few months in or a year in. Uh, yeah, Yeah, no, so like all my friends are here and like my girlfriend's here. and right. like It makes sense. And then, so like, you have other things that besides comedy that brought you back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm really – a huge thing was also just sketch and improv because in Se- Seattle has a decent improv scene, but I didn't want to get – to invested in taking the classes and stuff because I knew I would what, come unexpected back. Unexpected productions, yeah, like Pipe Place Market, and, yeah, Jet City yeah, and stuff like that. Jet City, yeah. Um, so I really wanted to get back into it here, and then my sketch team was here, and I really wanted to do more of that stuff uh-huh. too. But um, yeah. So you were there for four years. Um, how did you like climb the the totem pole there? I guess the hierarchy of the scene. Like, was it? Do you find it difficult, or like, what was that experience like? No, I think that's the beauty of a smaller market as well. Is there's less bullshit. Um, I think the cream rises rather quickly in a smaller market because you can get up the open mic. Like, you, you'll get up. You know what I mean? And if if you're doing well you'll climb the ranks pretty fast. Yeah. I think there's less politics. and I mean, there's always going to be a, a, a little bit of that no matter where you are, and, but there's going to be way less of that than there is in L.A. Because in L.A., there's like, oh, this person has TV credits. Oh, this person is repped, you know, somewhere. Like, there's all these other things that factor in as to, like, who gets stage time. That's but if, so true. Yeah, but if you're doing some spot in Seattle, there's less of it. It's just more about what, what are you doing on stage? What are you as a comedian? Mm-hmm. And people just, like... We'll book you, and they'll book each other, and I know like because they just want a good show at the end of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in Seattle, people will pay for comedy, and even if you don't even have credits, uh-huh. but I feel like the bar is so high here because it's so saturated. Like you said, the supply. There's that. So It'll much. be like, oh, this person's on an E reality show, or there's all these other things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That like get make it so convoluted. Right. 
Um, There's a lot more favors here as well. Like, oh, this person is a friend of, you know? Yeah, there's less of that in uh, Seattle or Austin. Or What do you think of the vibe here that, I mean, you definitely must have noticed way back when you moved here, but, like, in Seattle, it's pretty customary to pay comics. Uh-huh. And, like, people will buy tickets to shows and stuff like that. I mean, they'll buy tickets here, but I feel like it's definitely harder to sell tickets and stuff like that. Here? Do you think that? Or is that not true? I don't really know. Well, I didn't depends. try to produce a big show here yet. Yeah, I think it depends what type of show. And then, I mean, I would do open mics in Seattle and there was no money, you know? It depends what type of show Oh, yeah, not is. the mics. Yeah, the mics, you're not getting paid. Um, but I know some indie shows, like, it's really customary to, like, pay the comics. Like, we booked Courtney Shane Williams for, like, our first, like, I... I produced a show called Young Tech. It's uh-huh. just like for all the tech people yeah. at Laughs. And uh, we had Courtney come and he's like, hey man, like, you know, if I'm headlining, you should really be paying me like 50 instead of 20. And I was like so confused because like we had people in LA come for, with like huge TV credits that are like really well known and they would just do our UCLA shows for free. Uh huh. So that was like a surprise for me. But then I realized, well, wow, it's kind of like messed up that comics don't ever get paid pretty much in LA. Normally, if I'm doing a guest set or whatever around town, I don't expect any money. It's nice when you do. There are some where you do like like Hot Tub or whatever. They're always very good about giving money and yeah. some other shows as well. But most of LA is just you doing 10-minute spot, 15-minute spot. Sometimes you get paid, sometimes you don't, whatever. Yeah. It's just more like... And if if I'm not getting paid, I'm just sort of like doing whatever I want as well, you know. Yeah, it's kind like of I'll, like maybe I'll work on some stuff. Mic, like you don't and have to <laughs> yeah, if and it's not super crusher, it's like, hey, I'm not getting paid. There's yeah. nothing to hold me to. Yeah. Um, but if somebody wants me to do like 30 minutes, 30 minutes or more, then it's kind of more of a paid situation, you know. Yeah, that makes when sense. When you're kind of featured on a lineup. That's because that's a huge amount of time, and that's yeah, a it's lot a larger chunk of time, and then you're kind of more the focus of the show and. And you would get paid doing that much time at the improv or, or anywhere else, really. Mm-hmm. You know? Have you produced any shows here? Or like no, not really. I never got into that. I know uh, a lot of comics have. That's usually how they start. They'll have their own show, and then they'll kind of trade spots with other people. They'll be like, look, you do my show. I do your show. Yeah. It's just a bargaining chip early on. It's another. It's a another way to way make to sure you're getting time. on every week or however, however, however often you're... Um, show is maybe it's monthly yeah you just know you have a spot every month but i never got into that okay that's cool yeah, i'm yeah. trying to figure it out i'm not saying that's right or wrong I, I mean it's a spot it's another spot you know i just yeah, yeah i was lazy Nah, you're good you've been doing so many things it's impressive well, thanks but it takes time you know like i remember there was a there was this point where back in the day i would i would message people to get on stage you know because that was the only way i would be like Hey, I'd love to do your show, blah, blah, But I was always cool about it, I would say. I'm sure you're getting slammed or a million people hit you up. If not, no worries. I always gave them an, an out. Yeah, get easy out. I always hate when people are like, uh, like they want something from you, and then there's no out. Just let me decide. The worst is like, hey, I want to do your show. Yeah. It's a lot. And then they're trying to avoid you. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was like, yo. Because people in L.A. have a very hard time saying no to anything. Like, people cannot No one wants to be the bad guy. Say no. Everyone's like... Yeah, for sure. People go, dude, it's so, it actually is kind of annoying. Like, 
people go, I, I'm noticing it more than I'm back, but like people would go so out of their way to not say no that they're like actively making plans that they're going to bail on. Yeah. Like it's the weirdest thing. Like people are just like, well, that's the whole thing of being Hollywood. Is let's like, see. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And for then sure. never Dude, yeah, hear let's from hang them. Out <laughs> soon. For sure. Like, why did you say that? Like, let's hang, you know, we're not like, yeah, stop. all you had to do was lop off the for sure. Yeah. And I wouldn't be so hurt. I love the But yeah, back in the day, I would hit people up, and uh, and then there was this, I just realized there was this time where I didn't have to do that anymore, and I was getting hit up to do shows, and it just becomes this self-running machine. So once you were in LA, you're saying, right? Once I, I mean, not as soon as I, mean, I got here, but like, uh, you kind of do a thing for long enough, and you become seen as that person, uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> know, I, yeah, I'm trying to, how do I describe this? I think you just sort of put in your time into your craft for X amount of years and eventually there's equity in that and you're kind of known as this quantity. You live with yourself so you don't see the scenery change. It's sort of like when you see someone after five years and they're like, oh, you look so different or you've grown and all that. Yeah. But you don't know that. I'm just living my life, but I guess you will grow comedically or whatever. People will see you as this thing. They go, oh, can we get him on the show? And you don't really see yourself that way but you become more of a high-profile comedian that elevates a show that someone wants you on. Like, hey, can we get him? So how did you, what was the trajectory? And you're not consciously trying to do that. It's just by nature of working at your craft for years in a city, you become that thing. It, you, yeah, you know? I, I know what you mean. It's um, like waiting in line. Just everything. Yeah, every, everyone, like, yeah, everyone well, gets their I, shot. You just got to wait in line. That's, I don't know. I mean, that sounds kind of passive. That's kind of like, well, but that's so long. Enough, that's so long as you're, Good. You have to be good. You're working on it. And work hard. And, and, so definitely and, and, people that are here that are not getting better. Like you'll definitely. For sure. I mean, don't you mustn't see comics that have probably been doing open, still doing open mics for years. Like, yeah. But some don't get known or anything. I think if right? you have an aptitude for it, and you work towards it, it is a matter of waiting in line. Uh, but the thing is, this town is full of del- like this town and the world is full of delusional people. And not in a mean way, but some people, like these pe- people who do open mics forever, they, ha- they, ha- they can't, uh, I think they lack perspective when they're on stage. They can't make the edits. They have laugh ears or whatever. Like maybe no one's laughing and they hear laughter. So if you have this skewed brain, you're never going to progress. You're not adapting because to feedback. That, yeah, all. that's what's great about stand-up is that it's very immediate. And I've always thought, some of the best comedians aren't the most brilliant people in the world. Like, sure, brilliant. I think it's just it's ninety nine percent editing, and and putting together a playlist, like a set list. That's so true. Like, like because you just throw a bunch of shit against the wall at these open mics or these shows that don't matter, and you just lop off the shit that doesn't work, and you keep the shit that does work, and then you expand upon the things that does work. Do you have well. an editor every night. Every night you're performing. Your audience is doing your job for you. If you're perceptive yeah. and, are, and are listening, but if you're not, then you're a ten-year open micer. Yeah, that's why you gotta record those sets. Yeah, there's that too. That definitely helps early on because you kind of maybe just fight or flight, and you're not even like processing what's happening in the moment. So you kind of need to hear it back. On do you not tape. record it? Uh, sometimes I do. You know, I, I will. I will a couple times. But if I'm doing a set where I kind of know, I know my bits, and they're yeah. pretty like tried and true. There's nothing I'm going to learn from just my style. Everyone's different. But if I'm doing a late night set at the store or something, you know, where there's like 10 people and I'm just trying a bunch of shit, I'll record that. Yeah. Because I'm going to do 80% stuff. I don't know what I'm going to 
it's new exactly. so i want to capture that sometimes i'll find even in like older sets that i've done like i'll improvise things or spin off new things that do better and then i'll still edit it and then that that helps me for recording it but yeah um, you're not worse off by recording your set yeah than not and a lot of times i'll just hit record and slide my phone just keep it in my pocket and it's good enough yeah that, that is interesting though i mean like editing so important it really at one point i thought like oh you have to be like supernaturally funny uh kind of person to do stand-up comedy and really be successful at it because i really like I mean, I admire the people that really are kind of like authentically funny. I mean, like Kevin Hart strikes me as someone who's just like naturally funny in real life. Like Chris D'Elia, like uh-huh. the, just the way they talk, you can tell they're really naturally funny. And uh, I, you realize that just by nature of the process of editing, you anyone like not anyone, but like maybe almost anyone could kind of have a really good stand-up set if they're literally only keeping the parts that get laughs yeah. every time. People get married to their words and their writing and sometimes it holds them back. They're like, no, but I want to say this phrase even though it doesn't work every time. Yeah. So, so long as you're just honest, you gotta, you gotta kill your babies. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Do you feel like you've ever have to like deal with that a lot when you're editing bits? Sometimes, yeah, there'll be a thing and I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go maybe three times and if it's not working... Then I'll lop it off. Yeah. Yeah. This is. Just, yeah. Then there's other things too, like where maybe you'll get a laugh, but it kind of takes the wind out of the sails on the bigger joke later on. Just all about editing and finessing, and mm-hmm. I think engineering, having that, it's kind of weird. Like you would think they have nothing in common, but I think the work ethic and just sort of uh, placement of things and flow and yeah, the being, a little, being a little more analytical things. about like I'm very organic when it comes to bits and how ideas come to me and. They're not forced or mechanical at all. Mm-hmm. But once I have these bits, I think the placement is where the engineering kind of comes into play. Exactly. It's really methodical. Yeah. That's cool. Where I just have a good feel for it where I'm like, okay, this is a nice ramp up for this whole bit. Like this is the best part of the bit. So obviously this will go last. This one is a nice lead in. That's interesting. It's almost like composing. Something. It is. I always I always say um, like there's there's a huge analogy between music and comedy, I think. And I think when it comes to being a good stand-up comedian, it's like uh, the analogy is first you learn how to make a song. And that's a joke, just a joke on its own. Mm -hmm. Learn how to make a song. So that's the first year or two, you're learning how to make a song. And that's what an open mic is for. You could do five minutes. um, Like late night is a bunch of songs, pretty much. There's kind of hodgepodge. Yeah. And then when you're doing an hour or like featuring that's when you learn to be a DJ where you're like, you learn how to make a playlist and it's, it's a set list for us. Yeah. Whereas you might have these great jokes, but if you just string this grab bag of a hundred separate, yeah, it just doesn't like bazooka Joe jokes or whatever. It's too jarring. You've got to create some sort of cohesiveness to it. That's cool. That's interesting. Like just the, the longer sets you get, the more you're creating. It's different than just, Creating one joke totally. at a time. Yeah, a joke is very different than an hour set. So because not everyone wants to sit through an hour of one-liners or disjointed ideas. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I never really thought about. I mean, I definitely have thought about the placement, but never emphasized it so much as. That's a lesson I learned thing. later on in my comedy career. Because at the beginning, I was just, I love, I just love funny ideas and. It's like I would have this grab bag of comedic ideas. Yeah. And I would pull them out. 
but it would be I would learn that you know audiences kind of I would stop doing that after a while or I learned I kind of got to talk about a subject at a certain length otherwise it's too it's like whiplash yeah you know that makes sense yeah that's cool so when in your uh, comedy career in LA did you sort of I'm sorry I'm, I keep going back to things but um what it's the lightning round. <laughs> oh, that's that sound. That was my Outlook reminder. Oh, I'm not. I can't. There's a meet. I can't go. There's a meeting? I can't. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Funny if you're like doing the meeting while we're doing the podcast. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm just like. <laughs> Multitasking? Meeting, just like they can see me, but I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Why do you have a microphone? Yeah, I'm not. I can't do that. Okay. Anyway. So. Yeah, at what point in your like uh, comedy career in LA did you start to notice that like transition from having to ask to getting asked? Like how deep into it maybe do you think you were? Maybe in LA, maybe eight years in. Whoa, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Damn. But I would. And, but I you're would like guess you're that. like deep. You've been doing comedy I've for doing sixteen years. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the trouble of like starting so young is that people don't know how long you've been doing it. You know what I mean? Like they just think you're perpetually like four years in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, that's wild. So eight years. What were you do? Like, how did you like, what advice would you give to basically someone like me who just moved to LA who's trying to get stage time? Like what kind of things did you do? I would say, yeah, stage time is key. You can't, the thing with stand-up comedy is you can't, skip steps you know you just really got to put the work in like stage time you just got to get up it's all about repetition and and sometimes people will go i'm at the store i've been there for a long time and now it's kind of in a renaissance and everyone's hanging out there and they're like how do i get up at the store it's it's so fucking hard right now i'm lucky i got in in the dark ages when no one was coming around there i got passed in like 2010 but now every star is coming back and just give up on the store pretty much. It's not worth it. There's you, so much people you've got to and get, it's so competitive. Like, yeah, just don't it's like you have this fantasy. Don't, you have people on TV that aren't even getting passed. For sure. Yeah, so, like, and you have really you funny have people no who are coming from other markets who've that. been doing it. You just have to get on stage a lot. And there are quality shows in, like in OC, in the Valley. You just got to cobble together your week with, with some quality stage time and, and just keep doing it. And as you get good, everything will work itself out. Sometimes people just go straight to the, they just want to be famous yesterday or they want yeah. to be on. You just put the work in and and things will work out. I'm trying to balance, like, I haven't honestly hit that many mics yet. I've been doing a lot of improv now that I've been, I've been only back for two weeks. But I haven't, like, hit as many mics as I probably could have. Um, I'm trying to figure out, like, where to go. Like, should I? You'll figure it out. Like, you'll have friends and uh, just you'll see at the mics and other shows and then they'll hear about a show or they'll tell you about a show. There's websites and stuff. And there's so many better shows in the Valley, yeah. in Orange County. You just got to expand your radius a little bit. And there are some good, and they're real people. It's not jaded Hollywood. It's not all actors with scarves and stuff. I'm really turned off by the idea of going to like Dinky, like a, like a coffee shop with like three people there. Yeah, that sucks. It's such a downgrade from But you're going to kiss some frogs before you, yeah, know. you know, kiss the prince or whatever. And you'll figure out what's worth your time and what's not. Because yeah. when I when I was living in Long Beach, trying to figure it out, cobble together my week, I found some gems. 
There was uh, Dino Archie. You know Dino Archie? I heard he's, a, he's a comedian. He, he's done Kimmel. But back in the day, he was, um, he was running this bowling alley show out of uh, Lucky Strike. Okay. At, like I think it's called The Block in Orange County. 20, 30 minutes at this bowling alley. And it was, it, was, it was once a week. It was one of the best shows. So I would drive out there. That's quality stage time. It's not the comedy store. It's not the improv, but it doesn't matter. You're still working on your craft and your yeah. uh, building material. Like even while in LA, you can find these little gems. Yeah, just find your gems. That's don't a cool don't idea. flock to where all the moths are going. Just let them have it. Let them try to suck the teeth that they never do while you're getting good and trying these jokes and, and elevating. That's so cool. So how do you balance that? I mean, like, because obviously in LA, they're. In a smaller scene, you're just trying to do that. Just find the gems, pretty much. And then, like, I mean, I guess you can, I guess maybe not. Like, you can also want to go to the, beyond, like, In Laughs or Comedy Underground. But, yeah, how do you just balance uh, going to these places that have tons of stage time and then thinking, okay, what will, like, help me kind of advance? I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's this impatience thing. It used to... Again, things will work themselves out over time. Um, I mean, you can go there, hang out at the store if you want to be seen and just as a guy in the scene, but <clears throat> don't pine to go on to the OR or the main room or, or just don't give more, of, more, time, more of your time than you need to a place. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll see that mistake. Some comedians will just hang out at the store and they're not getting up. They're not getting up anywhere. Yeah, That's not good. And they still consider themselves a comedian. Well, you're not a comedian unless you're doing. Like, what's better? Actually performing at some places? So they're just putting too much effort put, towards yeah, being don't put, seen. Like, even with my career, sometimes there are places, there were things that I wanted, but I could just tell the door was closed. So I was like, it was almost refreshing. Once I knew that door was closed or that it's kind of a dead end, <clears throat> you know to focus your energy. You go, all right, how else am I going to get into this place that I, or this thing that I want? Like the my hour special that I did on, on CISO, which is, I think, they sold it to Comedy Central, so they're going to air it sometime. But I had tried to get the half hour for years. I think I submitted eight years. Just kept on getting no's, 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 no's every year. And then the the last year I got a no, I thought like I was going to get it because I finally had enough Hollywood shit where I'm like, okay, now I'm not just a funny guy. I have some credits now. Like I think I did Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I did... Late night with Seth Meyers. I think I did Conan. And I was doing Guy Code. I'm like, all right, now I have the credits. And then I got a no again. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, this was, it was, I was kind of happy. Like, yeah. I can stop trying like, this. No I could just give up on this. Not give up on my career and all that stuff, yeah. but just like, this is a dead end. Thank you. And what was this for? The comedy It was for the half, half hour. Yeah. And it was at a point where, like, look, the half hour isn't what it was. Sometimes, too, is you when you get into this industry, you kind of hold on to these things that... That you think you're like the best. That are the best, but but the paradigm shifts and things aren't as important as they were back in the day. It would be like if I still wanted a premium blend. Like when I first started, that's what, or like a live at Gotham. These things that meant a lot to you, you don't realize that the dynamic is changing. It's more important to say... What's premium blend? See, that's the that's thing. Know that it, it, I know live at Gotham. Comedy Center, yeah, live, it's, it was basically live at Gotham before live at Gotham. Okay. It's just the introductory guest like, set that they would have on Comedy Central, like a uh, five-minute thing or a seven-minute thing. So, But the half hour used to be like a huge thing. That's how Dane got really big. That's how a lot of people got kind of famous. And, and just, you know, times changed. 
And you have to kind of adapt to the new thing before everyone else is even on board with it. For sure. Like it's almost more important to kind of have an Instagram following or be funny on Instagram than to have a half hour on Comedy Central. It's so interesting because it's so deeply ingrained in my mind based on what other comedians are saying. But the reality is of the markets, how everything's shifting to digital and Instagram. Yeah, you kind of have media. You kind of have to pull back and do some inventory. These things that you want and that everyone else in the comedy community is kind of fighting for, you've got to ask yourself, is it as important as these people are are, are putting weight in? Like a late night, I've done two. It's it's cool, it's nice to scratch off the bucket list or whatever, but it doesn't really move the needle. It doesn't do much for you. It doesn't do much. Doing Rogan is bigger than doing late night nowadays. That's the new Tonight Show, yeah. Podcasts is, is where you connect with your audience now these days. People don't, When's the last time you saw a late night set that that like moved That's the so needle? Interesting. It, it's so changing. Yeah, like there's. This it's neat. It's neat and novel to do as a stand up because that was the benchmark and the watermark for so long. Um, but it's less necessary. But if you've never had one, I can understand how you want to scratch that itch and it's just it's cool. Hey mom. Hey dad. I did it. It's it's a. Uh, I think it'll help you get road work. Maybe you know. But yeah. It's, it's less of a seismic event. That's true. Um, there's this dude on my uh, stand-up show boy band that I run with Nathan, and he was just like casually on Conan, and he's like, "Yeah, doesn't, didn't really do much. It was pretty cool. It was the coolest thing I've ever done." But uh-huh. He's like this 24-year-old. Yeah, and he, it was surprising to me how sure it comes like, and goes. Yeah, it's, it, and now that I see all, you, I mean, you can just see celebrities are moving to even having their own Facebook and Instagram. I mean, like they have been like for Will a while. Smith. Will yeah, Smith say, is on Instagram. Yeah, and he's killing it yeah. on that. He literally pays someone to follow him around. Probably. And it's just it's crazy. It's kind of amazing how long he was able to hold out for, though. Yeah. That's, that's insane to me. I mean, it is, I, it's important for people to reevaluate, take a step back, and realize, you know, the goals that they want. Is it just, like, groupthink because everyone else wants it? Or is it, like, is this really going to tangibly benefit your career? There might be other things that are people don't even know about and also sort of taking ownership of your own career because i think in the old hollywood model and just human nature it's it's easier to be like all right agents like how come they're not getting me the auditions or get me these meetings and like you're this you don't want to be all right i'm trying to think for my career like you don't want to be the guy who just acts and everything else or just me personally as a creator i like I like acting and writing and directing my own stuff. It's cool when I act in a thing, but I don't want that to be my whole career where I'm yeah. just, I'm this vessel for everybody else's material. And you're at the whim of everyone else too. Like if if they're not calling you, casting directors aren't bringing you in, you just, you're kind of fucked if that's yeah. your career. Unless you're an actor and that's what you live and breathe and that's your thing. I hate that. And I you just feel powerless. went to school. Yeah, but as a stand-up, and I've been doing it 16 years, and I write stuff and the sketch, and I have this creative. I have, I have ideas that I want to create. Taking more ownership of that and realizing with podcasting and creating your own sketches and videos, there's a lot of power in that. So, what things are you doing right now uh, in that respect? Kind of like the entrepreneurial side. I think the. Way. I mean, back in the day, I did it with the the YouTube sketch. I was doing that a lot, but then I kind of saw like less of a return on investment with YouTube. There was definitely a YouTube heyday when it made sense mm-hmm. to make sketch. Like 2006 like yeah, like, to yeah, 2012 yeah, 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 yeah. or something. And then 
no one watched sketch on you like stuff stopped going viral on youtube mm-hmm. um I so just it, and it made no sense to put that much work and effort and shoot something to get such few views that's how i feel i think it makes sense if you're trying to make short films and you just want to put these things out there as more of a portfolio as a young comedian and i'm glad i did those videos and that's kind of partly how goat face happened just by having this body of work and that's how I got good at, uh, you know, doing sketch and all that. So that, um, you know, I'm starting, I'm going to podcast. I have a podcast I'm going to do. Um, just other than stand up. Yeah. I'm just writing things, trying to sell some shows and stuff like that. That's cool. So yeah. what's your daily like life like right now? What is it? I mean, it's pretty chill right now. It was, it was pretty hectic with, with Goatface because mm-hmm. we were... We were writing constantly and then also pre-production mode. And then we were in New York. We were shooting that. So it was kind When of, was that? When were you doing <clears> all this? I think May. I think okay. May is when we were in New York uh, doing it. And Goatface, I mean, you guys are, isn't the whole thing like you're like brown comics? Yeah, we're four brown like dudes. Uh, I mean, we would always see each other. That's not like how we form. But we would see each other through stand-up because we're all stand-ups. Asif told me that you guys... Like literally would all audition and you would all be like there for the same role. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's a picture where like me and Asif, I think Dana do, we had someone take a picture of us just sitting on a bench with the sides in our hands, just with deadpan faces. This is when he got daily show. <coughs> and we're like, aren't you so glad you don't have to do this? Just go out for the same brown shit that That's everyone else so is going funny. out for. Yeah. That's epic. So when did you guys start that? Goatface, I think it might have been 2000, 2010 or 2012, around then. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the dream. And you guys are really living the dream now. I mean, with Comedy Central, maybe it seems less climactic now that you've already done TV stuff. But for a no, sketch no, channel, that's definitely, so huge. Yeah, there's kind of like, like I don't want to die. You know, <laughs> I don't want to die right now. But... I'm kind of at peace creatively with things that I've released into the world. My one-hour special was a thing that I really wanted to get out there um, because I feel with late nights and guest sets and stuff like that, it's always an away game. People are seeing a glimpse of what you are, and sometimes it matches up with who you are, but it's very much an away game that you're doing stand-up comedy. A one-hour special, everyone's coming to you. This is me. This is my turf. People are there for me. This is an hour. You really get a feel for who I am as a stand-up comedian. And if someone watches that and doesn't like it, I'm cool with that. Like, all right, you just really don't fuck with me. You don't like my comedy at all. But there's no ambiguity. I always yeah. hate ambiguity. Like, oh, no, you just didn't see, you didn't see it in the right light or whatever. But so, after an hour, you get the idea. Yeah, if somebody, that, that, so it's just comforting to know this is what I do. There's no uh, confusion. It's nice to have that footprint of an hour. Yeah, so like, I felt really good. Feel like it fully expresses you. Yeah, totally. And to have that out there. Um, so I felt really great after that. And then with this one hour sketch special, I feel the same way. Like this is very much my sketch brain. This is very much my sensibility as a writer. And these are my friends. And to show that sketch gear that I have as well. Because honestly, when I first started... I love stand-up and I love sketch. Everything else is just kind of, yeah, I'll do it. They're all lotto tickets. I'll audition for a thing. I'll submit a writing packet for a thing. But they're never as on-brand as stand-up and sketch. So once this sketch thing drops, I can disintegrate like the end of Avengers. Just Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I've left my mark or this is my voice. You feel about yeah, you did. Your you want to be able to put your dent up. in the world a little bit, like. And then and you're I gonna f- reinvent yourself, like Jim Carrey. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll go into hiding for a bit, and then I'll come out. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I still feel like I didn't fully do that with my sketches. Like somewhat. Yeah, but you well, have you have like, time, and yeah, I need to do that. That's my goal. And these are things that I, I wanted years expressed. ago, and you don't know if you'll if it'll ever happen. But I think if you just keep working at it. Uh, you kind of become this thing eventually, and opportunities present themselves if you if you continue to grow yeah, yeah. and work at it. Um, so this sketch special is just going to be a bunch of like digital sketches you guys filmed? Yeah, I mean, it'll be on TV, um, and then I think they'll dice it up and put some on the internet as well. But Yeah, I'm sure. So it's a lot of sketch. I think it's 10 sketches, and then we all do, we all tape stand-up as well. So I, those are probably like two minute clips from from each of us. So it'll be like sketch, 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 stand up, sketch, sketch, stand up. Oh, that's up. cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, do you feel ever feel jaded by uh, like all the TV stuff you're doing? Like it's so cool. Like comedy, doing all this Comedy Central stuff, and uh-huh. like having a special. Do you feel like when you reach that level of achievement, you're like, oh, it's like whatever. No, I feel very fortunate, and it it. It doesn't. It's not lost on me how cool it is, especially with the sketch special. Other things, like other guest star things, it, it can be. It's novel, but it's less fulfilling because it's not your thing. Oh, like if it's, you just end up playing a part. Yeah, like drunk history else. was cool. It's just uh, like a very quick part, um, easy to fly in. It's a nice IMDb credit, but it's not your baby. It's not your thing. It's very different when it's your thing because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get all the feels. I totally understand that. Yeah, because because cool. you were there when you wrote the sketch. You were there when you were filming it. You're just there every step of the way, instead cool. of just flying in at the last minute. And that yeah. that's fun too, but it's a different thing. They flew you out. No, 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 I'm just talking about like figuratively uh, for oh. for drunk history. No, yeah. they they did that in L. A. Just like fly you. Something? Yeah, that's cool. Um, wait, so yeah, we were talking about your daily routine at one point. Yeah, what is it like? Um, it's just like chill right now at least pretty chill right now but yeah when I'm not doing anything uh, you know I'll wake up kind of late because I'm at the comedy store sometimes late and just doing sets around town yeah so my schedule skews a little later I'll wake up around like 10 11 if it's bad <laughs> um, I'll have breakfast coffee a lot of ideas will come to me sometimes I'll go to a diner and just chill in a booth it's like my office mm-hmm. so I'll just take my time at breakfast have coffee I'm on my phone writing ideas, maybe tweets. I have uh, my process. I have Evernote in my phone. Oh, that's cool. So it ties to my computer. If I edit, Evernote's great. I love Evernote. Yeah, great productivity app. Uh huh. Although I had a problem with it, and I didn't realize what the problem was until later. I fixed it on my own. Um, I guess I had so much text in my. Um, I had this one. F- I have one. F- what is it? Uh, a note called Bits. Where I just put stand-up bits in it. I have that. Yes, yeah. and there is just so long and that it was bogging old. down. Like there was this huge lag on the app, where it was taking forever to edit things. Really? And I thought it was a bug within the app, and then I just realized, oh, I'll just do a new note, and it cleared everything up. It was just too much text in it. Oh, it was just like it was just too yeah. bloating too much crap uh-huh. into memory. Yeah. So Evernote, I'll have all these. Um, just different boxes to put ideas in. I have a, a note for bits. I have a note for dumb Instagram videos. I have a note for movie ideas, a note for sketches, a note for like sitcom ideas. Just like 
capturing all the ideas. I should put my notes into Evernote. <clears throat> I just, I'm still using my iPhone notes for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. I just prefer Evernote. Whatever your process is is fine. But I think people aren't good um, or they haven't developed that skill of just recognizing a good idea for what it is and logging it. It's like forgetting a dream. You just got to be good about recognizing something and jotting it down on your phone because you always have your phone on you or a notebook, mm. whatever it is. But yeah, I think about what I do is just capturing butterflies. That's all it is. I'm not manufacturing butterflies. Yeah, that's cool. You just like you just have to be open and ready to receive. Like creativity is cyclical. I know it's not always going to be there, but I've been in the game long enough to know that when the faucet's on, just you know, throw the bucket under there. That's cool. That's a cool thing. Yeah, because you can beat yourself up like, oh, I'm not coming up with any ideas, and was it a fluke? All the ideas I came up with, will it ever happen again? It's just too much pressure. Do you ever beat yourself up about um, like? Oh, and I've noticed, to write. well, one of the things I just want to expend, oh, yeah, sure, expend this advice is, uh, yeah, if the creativity is not coming to you, you have a huge backlog of ideas that you've jotted, unfinished ideas, you can polish. Polish while you're not ready to receive yet, you know? There's a lot of work that could be done just refining ideas and dusting off some ideas that you've never even tried on stage or until those gems come to you again. That's awesome. Do you um do you have a writing schedule like for maybe writing like sketches and stuff like that or or uh, film or TV? yeah I'm I'm not I don't have a ske- like a rigid schedule I just kind of live life and when the idea comes to me I'll jot it down on my phone and when it comes to stand up I'll I'll have enough words in the document to kind of capture the idea and I'll try it out on stage you know it's different with stand up because yeah you don't have a, to write bits, down as like, much yeah bits. You'll minute, a minute, two. I don't have to sit at a computer and, and it'd be like a script, and I don't work that way, anyways. No stand-up should really yeah. be writing out a script because you, you, you look like a out. robot. A lot of people do oh that. yeah, even when I started out, I and would like write out. Eyes. It was That's like a monologue. Exactly. It's like I was trying to get into Juilliard every time I did stand-up. Yeah. You're just looking at the rafters, and I'm looking at <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at a teleprompter in my brain, <laughs> like reciting this masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, and stand-up is all about being a human. And looking at people and reacting and yeah, so no one wants to see somebody recite something. Um, but yeah, I don't sit down and crank out movie ideas and stuff like that. Or like uh, script, like I mean, like actually, like if you're working on a but with sketches, scripts and stuff for sketches. Sketches is easy because it's three, four, five pages tops. So that's kind of like stand up for me as well. I'll I'll have the idea. I'll write the sketch idea in in my phone. And when it comes time to say we're going to do it for Goatface or I'm trying to present it to the guys, sometimes it'll be, we'll just, I'll have the ideas on my phone and we kind of go around and I, I tell the concept just verbally what it is. Yeah. And then when everyone really likes it, then I'll come in with uh, like a first draft of it and I can just bang it out super easy. Because oh, I know, so I know what the beats are. Yeah. And I, I can write it super easy. So I don't, have to, cool. I don't have to sit down and I really think because it's so short. And I'm just a good sketch guy. That's how my brain works. Stand up and sketch. There's no work, but with with like a half hour or an hour, to me, there's there's um, a scaffolding. There's a, a format that I'm not familiar with. It doesn't come to me naturally. Yeah. So I don't really work on that unless I team up with a buddy who kind of knows that world a little more. I've I've had that at bay. You're talking about like. 
hour long like film pieces or stand up? Yeah, like mo- like movie scripts okay. or um or like sitcom stuff. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I don't sit down and bang that out. Just it seems That's more so, daunting to me. Uh, yeah, it, is. it seems really daunting, and I always feel like you have to follow this like structure and yes. like a scene has to end on a yeah like changed perspective. I don't. And know. I'm so deep in the stand up world and now sketch, and that I'd rather just focus on my core competencies and just lean into that instead of trying to sell this sitcom thing. I think that'll come later, and I'll team up with a buddy who's been in that world. I have a writing partner for that where I can just be the idea guy. And, you know, a lot of sitcoms is just a bunch of sketches strung together. No, it's interesting. I've been, I was thinking about sitcoms and stuff and how every stand-up wants to do, like, make a sitcom. It seems like that's kind of like a goal to do TV. But, like, I don't know anyone who watches sitcoms. And, again, like, it's, one, it's, sitcoms? it's one of those things, too. Of, is that the thing just because that's what it's been forever? Like a sitcom, like you think of like everyone loves Raymond or something. Everybody loves Raymond. You know what sounds more attractive to me now than that shit? I mean, they did back in the day. They did. Yeah, it was huge. Huge. Like Seinfeld, obviously huge. Like Curb Your Enthusiasm is like sitcom-y and they're still doing it. It was like 10 years, 15 years old. Yeah. But like what's now? It doesn't seem like to be a sitcom format. It's all Game of Thrones, people. Yeah. Yeah. But what seems more attractive to me, just being in the game a little longer and seeing it evolve, is just doing something like this. If I just had a podcast I did once a week, you have your core fans, like enough to tour, and that's way doper than having a sitcom. Because how easy is this setup? You know what I mean? You're just talking. People know your voice. People know your personality. They like you as a comedic brand or whatever. There's no going there every day of the week, learning lines and blocking and all this time commitment. Yeah, you roll out of roll out of bed, and it's all your own schedule. You don't have a hundred people whose livelihood depend on this show. Mm-hmm. You can just make your own brand. That's a big goal of mine. Like I want to figure yeah. that out. Like, like what's what's Rogan's overhead? Like very little. I know. He just has for how, for as powerful and influential as he is, he makes so much money. Yeah, there's that too, and like the ads and. To, um, if you have a hundred thousand listeners, or yeah, I think for a hundred thousand listeners, you can charge something like, like three to five thousand. I don't know. Something oh, a, a read, like, like eight. I don't know. A couple thousand dollars for uh, advertisements and stuff like that. So imagine you have two per episode. It t- <laughs> it's so minimal. You can make ten thousand dollars a week. Yeah. Like it, and a hundred thousand in the scheme of things, isn't even a lot. Like compared to people on some social media that have like millions of followers, yeah. But just like a hundred thousand, you can be like make well into six figures doing comedy, and like what, like once a week? Yeah, I'm just trying That's to. Crazy. It seems very alluring to remove all these layers between you and the fans because the old model was get on some sitcom, so you have to get this, these people to green light you to have a sitcom. The show has to be good. Hopefully you have good writers and all that stuff. Hopefully you pop. It's the right setting for you to be seen comedically. There's all these layers that have to, for an audience to kind of connect with you. Whereas with this, there's way less layers to connect with your your core fan. Yeah, Yeah, taking more ownership of your career and giving less to people to have control over you. I love that. I, so, I, yeah, that's where I'm trying to trying to get at, and that's the technology with everything that we have affords you that opportunity. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I just think gatekeeping is so disempowering to me. It's so it puts you in such a like a passive mode of like getting a, waiting to get chosen. Yeah, you have no leverage. 
you're at the whim. I just I that doesn't nothing is worse than being like a talented person and something to offer and just being at the whim of like everybody. You're just waiting. You have like no power. The, you get chosen by the crane. Right. Like, and you have no idea um what what the taste of the week is gonna be and if you're gonna be that or not. Yeah. Dri- yeah. Drive the car. Yeah, I I'm really inspired. I, I see even now like some people are doing sketch on Facebook and it's coming back with the Facebook um I don't know what it's called, Facebook TV or something uh-huh. where they have uh uh what is it? Just like if you have a following on Facebook, you can sign up for this program where you appear in this like watch list where people just can go through your videos. Huh. And that's like the new thing. That's like really new. It's honestly only a few months old. Well, and I, I think that's f- a cool thing to break into if that's possible. Yeah, it's evolving. No one really knows what it is. It's kind of an exciting time as a content creator in Hollywood just because there's so many outlets now. You have like Go90, you have Hulu, you have Netflix, you have Crackle, you have Facebook, you have, you know, everyone's trying to take a stab. There's just so much opportunity for content. Everyone wants it. Yeah. So even though we don't know what it is, it's a good time to be in the biz, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot changing. That's cool. Um, Yeah, so... We can't do this podcast without talking about your engineering. Career. I just think that's so cool. I don't, I don't know how it hasn't come up that much yet. We briefly talked about it. Yeah, it's funny how a lot of people don't even know. That's crazy. I knew just because, like, I I went to do a similar thing. So, I ended up doing a similar thing. So I found it really interesting that you were an aerospace engineer. Yeah. Turned comedian. That's really unusual. I guess so. The thing is, I was a comedian before. I did engineering, but the romanticized version is that. Because I think most people don't like their jobs. So the version they have in their head is that, you know, I'm just cranking these numbers out in the cubicle. And I was like, fuck this. Yeah. I wasn't born to do this. I'm a star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was doing, you know, stand-up when I was 18. And I I just did mechanical engineering because it was four years and I'd be out. And I figured it would give me a stable base did, to springboard there, into the thing that I wanted to do. Was there pressure from your parents? Yeah, of course. Like, engineering was kind of settling in their mind, you know? I should have been more. Oh, like you could have been Yeah, I could have been a doctor, or like, lawyer, dentist. Yeah. Yeah, but I just... Engineering, settling? Settling, for sure, yeah. What, where are you? What's your ethnicity? Afghan. Okay. Yeah. So they really, like, hard into... Yeah, academics <clears throat> and, and, like, profession and house, car, all that thing. Yeah. There, there's just no blueprint for what I'm doing for like an immigrant family. You know what I mean? It seems yeah. like a pipe dream. How did you uh, balance that in college? Uh, stand up in, in yeah. school? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I was living at home, so I wasn't even living on campus. So I was commuting 40 minutes to UW almost every day. Whoa, so I couldn't sad. really... And engineering is kind of a rigorous curriculum. I didn't have a ton of free time during the week to do stand up. And even if I did... I would just, I would get too much grief from my parents, so it wasn't even worth it. So I only had the weekends to do stand-up. Yeah. Friday, Saturday. Yeah. And that's what was great about Dave and Angela over at Laughs is I would get 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, Friday and Saturday. That's a lot of time. That's almost getting as much time as open micers would get. In a um, week. (laughs) Yeah, just in one shot. That's pretty cool. So you're able to kind of compensate for that. Yeah. And then I would do giggles as well every now and then and, and the comedy underground. But Dave and Angela with laughs at the Ramada was kind of my main thing. Was there a scene at UW? I don't know. Not really. And and no one really knew. I always kept my world separate. Like, no one. I didn't tell anybody. No one knew you did stand up. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm one of those. Like, really? And you just it, had it, a it bunch was, of engineering friends? Yeah. Same with Boeing. When I was working at Boeing, no one knew that I did stand-up. Wow. I always liked keeping my world separate because it just seemed like less drama. And it's sort of my thing, my dream, my journey. Um, and I'm protective of it as well early on because it's so easy to tear someone down or just shit on it or it's easier to write something off because you don't want to go for your thing so mm-hmm. you'd be like I'm oh delu- this guy's delusional or you know like, even if they don't say it and they're like oh that's great you kind of know there's this subtext of like this guy's off his rocker yeah and i'm not and i'm like not off my it? rocker you know so that's why i'm protective of it and i would never tell people did you go- always get like when you did tell people did you get criticism criticism no but i'm a logical way? guy like i'm not part of being a stand-up comedian is you're a very perceptive person and i just know how it comes across and how people are and how human nature is that i'd rather not deal even if they're very accepting of it i'm sure that's like super rare a person to be super accepting of it i would just rather not deal with whatever baggage is associated with oh i'm gonna go do comedy that's so interesting because i feel honestly like my and I'm not trying to. That opposite. Oh yeah, yeah. People are different. Like you're the I'm norm. Super, you're super more the norm it. than I am. I'm really vocal. Like even at work, I'd invite people to my shows. <laughs> I'd send blast emails. Like, <laughs> yeah. My show. Yeah, I'm not like that at all. And even at the level I'm at right now, like, look, I'm at the comedy store. I'm, I'll go up after like, uh, you know, some pretty great comics like Rogan or Dalia. I'm I'm at the comedy store right now, and it's Renaissance. And I'm still kind of weird about, like, I'm not going to invite people or... <laughs> you don't tell them you do comedy. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, if they really, pr- if they press me, I'll get them in, you know, I'll have them. But, like, there's a part of me where it's like, I just want to do my thing. Interesting. But I'm you not... have friends, your friends, how could they not know you do comedy? They, like, they the, know. I mean, well, because I'm in the comedy TV world. I'm in the comedy world. Like, all my friends are comedians. But when I'm working at Boeing, I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah, not at the yeah. copy machine. Like, yo, come check me out tonight. Yeah, but now you kind of... There's nothing to hide, really, right? Sure, but for some reason, the way I work, I just like I love performing stand-up comedy for strangers. Yeah, because there's I'm not tied to anyone. I don't have to see someone. There's there's no look. Very rarely do shows go bad at the level I'm at now, and how long I've been doing it, and the shows I do are pretty good. But I take solace in knowing I could eat shit and it not matter. I'm not going to see this person. I know. Not and you can really the take the risks. Come to your show yeah. And, and I'm just thinking you. about the comedy. I'm not thinking about this person in the crowd. You know, it's just about the jokes and yeah, the art of stand up rather than, Oh, I hope they liked it. And, uh, you know, I wonder where they're sitting and all there's all these other things that I don't, I don't love about stand up. Yeah. That's interesting. No, I definitely feel that. Um, and I'd be my advice for young comedians is just do it for you. Get up. Don't invite people, you know, just eat shit in front of strangers. And if you're worried about eating shit, who cares? You're never going to see those people again in your life. They're not going to remember it. You'll be alive after the experience. It's really not as scary as you think it is. And once you do it in front of strangers. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you want to eat shit in front of your friends? Don't invite anybody your first year. The worst thing is when people want to come see you for the first time. And instead of coming to like maybe a big show or like a long set where you know it's going to go well, they're like, oh, this bar show? Let's go to this rowdy bar show. Why? You can't come to the the first show you see of me that you're going to judge me for for the rest of our relationship can't be me bombing in front of random ass people. Like literally yesterday, I was doing like just an improv jam at the improv space. And like it was so. 
really poor, not funny, like, uh-huh. really poor, <laughs> not funny at all. And this kid wanted to like collaborate and like, uh, I was also meeting this kid who wanted to like produce stuff cause he has a lot of Emerson friends and I have my sketch channel and he found our sketch channel and he's like, yeah, let's produce stuff. And they saw me do improv. I'm like, you can't, this isn't, I can't nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's going to happen though. You can't, I know you can't have everyone see you in the best light all the time. Yeah. But over time, it doesn't matter. Cool. So is that your parting wisdom? Uh, I guess. I, <laughs> I didn't mean it to be. Do you have any parting wisdom for people that are trying to be do their thing in L.A. or maybe uh, Eyes on your own paper, or... I would say. And that's a... Look, I was guilty of it early on. It's harder when you're a young comic to not look around and just measure yourself based on what everyone else is getting and doing. Like You think everybody else's success is an attack on yours or like... Yeah, it's super toxic. Yeah, super like toxic. why? A lot of my why did he that. get that thing? There's um, there's a lot to go around. Just know that, and also your journey is completely different than somebody else's journey. I think Seinfeld had a great quote in the comedian: "A career is a very long time. It'll be a wash over all these years. Don't sweat it. Eyes on your own paper. Focus on getting good. Just stage time. Don't skip steps." You know, like, don't just go to all these parties and you're not even working on being a comedian and you have the same set for, like, four years. Yeah. Don't buy Instagram followers. Like, don't skip the steps. Just get good. Yeah, work hard. Work on your craft. Um, Yeah, and just making it is half hustle and half talent. So... Look, I've been early on in my and career, love. I've been very, yeah, and the stars aligning. There's very much that as well. And make friends too, not in a like creepy, gross Hollywood way, but you rise with your peers. Like I knew Hassan before he was anybody. We're doing the show because we were in a sketch group together. We, we love each other. Like he wants to do the sketch show because he trusts us and we've, we've, done, we've done things together. So he gets on, we get on. So if you if you isolate yourself and it's not a good move, yeah, just be a good person, work on your craft, and uh, things will work themselves out. Cool, man. Well, thanks for doing the interview. Yeah, appreciate it. I'm gonna go back into engineering now, guys. Cool. <laughs> hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.